I want to use on this evening uh, as a subject the Christian's crystal ball of confusion. What not? What next? What else? The Christian's crystal ball of confusion. You know, when I was growing up, I'm a child of the 60s, born in the late 50s, but in the 60s, you often had these shows that were on TV, and it talked, and it showed someone dressed up very fancy with a crystal ball, and, and they could tell you what your future holds. They would look into it and give some kind of incantation, and then they would rub that ball, and they would look into that ball. Initially, it would be real cloudy, and then all of a sudden, it would get clear, and they would be able to tell you what was going to happen to you in the future. Uh, we have some people today who try and do the same things. I don't know that they use crystal balls anymore. Uh, I guess there's some people who can read the lines in your hands, or some people like to use tarot cards or whatever, but some device uh, that is intended to tell you what the future holds. Now, for Christians, I call this a ball of confusion, you know, because we are simply not equipped to know what the future holds. It's not intended that way. God didn't intend it that way. As a matter of fact, if we look into a Christian, a crystal ball of Christianity, the thing that you really should see are the promises of God. Those are the things that we should expect to see. But that's not what we tend to look for. We want to see what's going to happen tomorrow. What's going to happen the next day? What's going to happen next year? Am I going to get that job? Is my kid going to get into that school? How much money am I going to have? This becomes what I call a ball of confusion. When you look into a crystal ball, you want to know what's coming up next. You want to know what am I going to have that I don't have now. And you want to know what else is going to happen in my life. That's why I put in the what not, what next, what else. And we're going to expand on those very shortly. 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 12 through the 12 verse. It says this, according to the NLT translation. It says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. What Paul is telling us in this first letter to the people at Corinth was that, look, you're not going to know everything right now. It's just not going to happen, okay? You're going to you're going to want to know, but you're not going to know. But at some point in time in your life, if you stay with the Lord, huh? when you are with him, everything will be crystal clear. But for right now, you do not have a crystal ball. Amen? Look, what we know is this. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8, chapter 28, verse. 
That's one thing that if you had a crystal ball that worked properly, you would see that in there. That all things work together for good. How they're going to work together for good, we don't know. We're talking about good things, bad things, right things, wrong things. Everything in our lives that will impact our lives will work together for our good. If we love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, since we don't have a crystal ball, since we don't know what's ahead in our lives, what are the things that we need to be focusing on instead of that? And I want to point out to you on this evening three areas that we should focus on instead of this crystal ball of confusion. The first point, the first area is this. We need to focus on what is and not what's not. Uh, you cannot do anything with what you don't have. Work with what God has given you to work with. You know, sometimes people will pull their hair out and more than that, make excuses about what they can or cannot do because of what they do not have. But the bottom line is you cannot do with what you don't have. And often we underestimate the value of what we have, especially with the fact that God is on our side. He is the greatest, the most powerful, and the most faithful thing that we have, hear me, that we have in us that enables us to work with whatever we have. Whatever God wants you to do, he will make sure that you have the resources. He will make sure that you have the ability. He will make sure that you are equipped to do what he wants you to do. Isaiah 41 and 10 says this, and this is just another addition to work with what you have if for no other reason, God is on your side and he will make it work for you. Isaiah 41 and 10 says, so do not fear. Why? For I am with you. Do not be dismayed. Why? For I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So that's like whatever you have. Whatever you're working with, God is there. He's with you. Did not he promise to not leave you nor forsake you? It, it, it should be a very hard thing to complain about what you don't have when God can take everything you do have and make you prosperous. Hallelujah. There's a couple of examples I want to point out to you how God had to make it clear to some people that what you have is more than enough. Exodus, fourth chapter, first to the third verse. Moses answered to God. Because Moses, as this is after he was being told by God, that you are going to lead my people out of Egypt. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, 
what is that in your hand? And Moses replied, a staff. God was making it plain, you got all you need and all that I need you to have. Moses also had complained about the fact that he had a, a, a speech impediment. How am I going to make it plain to them? He said, you got a brother named Aaron who speaks quite well. So he's with you as well. You got what you need. He, God had to make it plain to Moses, that's all you need. And with that staff, he led the people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt into the wilderness, and ultimately into the promise. This is just a staff, huh? But God is letting him know that's all you need. We're going to work with what you got. Matthew 14, chapter 15 to the 20th verse is another example, a very familiar story. It says here, and when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place. Now, let me put it in perspective. This is after Christ had made his way into an area where he thought he was going to be chilling out, cooling down after some excitement. But the people found out where he was going to be. They followed him. And this is where the 5,000 men, not including you, women and children, got hungry. Okay? So they said to him, this is a desert place. The time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. Jesus said unto them, they don't need to go anywhere. Paraphrase. They don't need to go anywhere. Give them something to eat. They said unto him, all we got is five loaves and two fishes. So right there, your disciples are saying, we don't have enough, Lord. We need something more than this. Do you not see all of these people, Lord? So he says to them, and basically saying, we don't need no more because I'm here. I'm the Lord. I'm the Savior. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one being given all power. Bring the food to me. So he, so they did. He commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed it. And he broke it, and he gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. When God puts his hand on whatever you have, it becomes sufficient, it becomes more than enough, and you will have something left over. When you let God put his hand. See, a lot of us spend too much time backing God's hand away, saying, Lord, I got this. I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm okay. I'll get through this. But let God put his hand on what you got so you can focus on what is and not what's not. The second area that I want to focus on is this. What now and not what next? It's more of a timing issue. Some of us are on a constant search for tomorrow. Search for tomorrow was an old soap opera that you got to be old enough 
like in your 60s to remember. You have to search for tomorrow, the edge of night, as the world turns. All of this is before General Hospital. But anyway, all many of us are on a constant search for tomorrow. You cannot live tomorrow today. Amen? You can prepare. You can plan. But you cannot live tomorrow in advance. Matthew 6, chapter 34, verse says this, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Only God knows what tomorrow will bring. A great source of anxiety for so many of us is the fear of the unknown. And tomorrow is truly an unknown. Worrying about something that we don't know about or can do anything about does us no good. We need to be focused on what now, what is now, not what is next, because there's nothing you can do about it. Amen? Proverbs 19, chapter 21st verse says this. Many are the plans in the hearts of man, but the purpose of God prevails. When you think about tomorrow, think about what God wants. Think about what God might do. Think about what he's going to do, whether you know what it is or not. When I was going through a pretty tough time in my life, and I really had no clue what was going to be there. I didn't even know what was going to happen in the next hour or the next evening or the next morning. But one thing I always did say, I don't know what's going to happen, but God knows what's going to happen. Now, that became a great source of comfort for me. I was living in the now, living in the now, but I wasn't worried about the next because I know that God's hands are big enough to hold my next. God's hands are big enough to hold whatever awaits me. God's hands are big enough to carry me into whatever is happening and take care of me in the midst of whatever happens next, whether that be tomorrow or whether that be next week, next month, whatever the good Lord gives me or gives us, he's got us. Hallelujah. Now, what we need to do, what we need to do, and I want to take a little break here and ask the forgiveness of the one supposed to pray earlier. I missed you. So we'll have double prayers or back-to-back prayers at the very end. So we need to focus on what's now and not what's next. Don't try and live in the future. You can also not live in the past. Huh? Live in the now. Sometimes we make the mistakes of trying to live in the past because we want to relive a good time or try and relive it. Like every day of the, it's like the movie Groundhog Day where you're just living the same thing over and over. But sometimes we do that because we're, again, afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow. Amen. Lastly, the area I want you to focus in on is this. What's left and not what else? Uh, Finish what you started. 
Multitasking has its benefits, but it is not beneficial if you don't finish anything. Many of us are good starters, but poor finishers. Sometimes we pride ourselves on being able to juggle a bunch of balls in the area or a bunch of things in our lives, but do we ever really accomplish anything? Do we ever actually finish anything? I submit to you, we need to go ahead and focus on what's left to do before you start looking at what else can I do? Uh, what else is on the other side of the fence that I can get into? Finish what you start. I like what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, chapter 7, verse. He says, I have fought a good fight, and I have finished my course. Finished my course. Paul didn't come to the end of his ministry journeys and say, wow, man, I wish I could have went here. I wish I could have went there. You know, if I had just a little more time, I could do this and do that. No, he said, I finished my course. Huh? And in 2 Corinthians, in the 8th chapter, 11th verse, uh, he had a message to those uh, believers in Corinth uh, uh, that said this. He says, now, you should finish what you started. And this had to do with them taking up collections for some of the underprivileged or poor congregations. He says, finish what you started. He says this, let the eagerness or the zeal that you showed in the beginning be matched now with your giving. So be just as excited now about continuing to give as you were in the very beginning. Finish what you started. Philippians first chapter six verse says this, and this is more of God showing his faithfulness to us. See, a lot of times God, he shows us in his word that I can show you better than I can tell you. Huh? Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he, being God, who began a good work among you, will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. So he says, look, I'm going to finish what I started. Paul says, God is going to finish what he started, a good work in you, a good work amongst us, a good work with us. So that's our example. Finish what we start. And the greatest example of all is I come to a close. Jesus Christ on the cross, he said, it is finished. He went all the way to Calvary. He endured everything that he did. For the joy that was set before him, Christ endured the cross. He despised the shame. Also that we can see that we can make it to the end. And we can finish what we start. Working out our salvation and making ourselves home. Amen. Amen.